Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. We mean what we say, that no matter your story, you're welcome, you're wanted, and you're loved. All at the same time. Can you handle all that? Maybe. Look, we, we know this. We, we pray that God will send every single person who's supposed to be here on a Sunday. If you're here, it's because God brought you here. I know that's, <laughs> if you're not like been around church all that much, that might sound like a weird thing that a Jesus person says, but I think there's truth to that. You're, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose, and I'm excited that you are here. There's a couple more things going on. Remember our baptism on October 1st. That is uh, just a few weeks away. If you would like to be part of that baptism, let me know. If you have not been baptized and you, and you want to be part of that, we'll talk about that, okay, and just make sure things are ready to go. Um, we plan to have that down at the Honeycuts, but I will have some kind of a backup plan if we get rained out because we, we're going to have a baptism one way or the other, Lord willing. And then October 22nd, you got that day on your calendar? Well, that's good. Put it on there. Put it on there. That is the sixth anniversary of Recreate Church. Uh, some of you were here from the very beginning. It's pretty exciting times. Um, we are going to, Lord willing, have this at an, as an outdoor event um, up at the, the new pavilion that's behind the Carter Building. Okay, the new farmer's market, some people will know it as. You turn it behind the, old, the Carter Building or the old courthouse, and there's that nice stage and everything and pavilion back there. We're going to shoot for that, okay? So um, keep it in mind, we'll probably take some chairs up there, but if you have some bag chairs or something that you would be more comfortable in, uh, go ahead and bring those. Otherwise, we have a bunch of these blue stacking chairs that we'll bring. So everyone will have a place to sit, and we're hoping to do that. That's going to be fun. Okay. All right. So you guys can't see this. So I'm just going to walk up here to my wife who did an amazing job with the announcements. Do you see on my palm right there, I see that white line? See that? What do you think that's from? I was careless with a knife. She could have said you were stupid, but she, and it would have been accurate. Yeah, right here on my left, left palm, there's a scar, a little white line. It's not as bright as it was several decades ago when I did it, and uh, the story went like this. I recall very clearly we had just turned left at the stoplight at the bottom of the hill here on 221. We had been to Family Dollar. And, and I had somehow, I don't know if, if mom got it for me, or I had, had uh, saved my money and got it, but I got a super soaker. Does, does anyone remember super soakers? That's like the best thing out of the 90s, super soakers. Uh, big tank of water you can spray. It's fantastic. Water gun. That's, we did that kind of thing a lot. We had lots of water fights when I was growing up. and had a super soaker. And, of course, I can't do a thing with a super soaker in the car but I still had to have it open because you have to have it open. So we were in front of Cavalier Express down here at the bottom of the hill, and I got out my pocket knife, and I held it securely against the zip tie that was holding it in the package, and, and I sliced right through that plastic and into the meat of my hand. Have you ever seen the inside of a hand before? It's very interesting more interesting if it's not your hand. So I did not get to use my super soaker that day. God bless my mom. She did a U-turn and we went to go get stitches. And I remember her being very patient. Thank you, mom, for being so patient. It, it was not the first or the last time. 
So, <laughs> uh, you know, little country kids, I carried a pocket knife from the time I was like four. But, and that was the only time I needed stitches from a pocket knife. Still to this day. So, yeah. Um, so got a, I got a few scars here and there from being a kid, from being a country kid. Anybody got any scars from just having fun as a kid? You got some scars? Yeah, and you could, everybody's like, well, let me just show you. Please don't, um, actually. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe some other time. But yeah, you know, I got some on my right elbow. Is, there's not a lot of cartilage left in there because of uh, a bike accident. There's a lot. I did a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't, didn't really have uh, any much indoor stuff to do, so we did outdoor stuff. Most of us have some scars from when we were a kid, hopefully from doing something fun. Uh, of course, some of the scars that we have from childhood and youth go a lot deeper than the surface, and they didn't come from a fun place. I've been a pastor now for, although it seems impossible, 18 years. 18, and yes, I started real young. That's why I don't look super old, maybe. I don't know. 18 years I've been a pastor, and what I have seen time and time again is a whole lot of the stuff we wrestle with as adults comes from some wounds when we were pretty young. Stuff that, that we picked up when we were young pain from our childhood or youth. And let me just say, on behalf of all the parents, as I am one, parenting is not easy. It's one of the toughest things you'll ever do. And even parents who are trying so hard to do everything right will fall short. And there are parents and parental figures who, who received some baggage from the previous generation and they just kind of kept on handing that baggage forward. That's very common. We hand down baggage from generation to generation to generation. Listen, I got a dare for you. Somebody has to be the one who opens up that baggage and deals with it and doesn't pass it on. I dare you to be the person in your family who deals with the stuff and doesn't pass it on. And you say, well, maybe my kids are grown. I can't do it now. Well, there's more generations to come. I dare you to be the person who does the hard work so the issues that run in your family will run out before one more generation. How about that? So today we're going to talk about one suitcase in all that stack of baggage that, that tends to get handed along. And nearly all of us have this baggage. Uh, sometimes it gets handed to us. Sometimes it gets thrown at us. Sometimes we weren't handed it, but we picked it up ourselves. Uh, I think that was the case with me. It's this idea that acceptance must be earned. I'm not talking about like getting accepted into college or, or getting a job or something. You know, there are things that you'll have to put the work in for and, and you'll have to show something. You'll have to have some, some kind of merit for that. I, I'm talking about your validation as a human being. From a young age, we pick up this idea that in order to be accepted, in order to be worthy, in order to be loved, we have to perform at a certain level. It is unfortunate and painful that there are, there are parents and parental figures who, who will say things directly to kids and um, to say that, tell a child that they aren't good enough, that they won't amount to anything, that they'll never measure up, and that's probably baggage that they're keeping on passing on. Let me go ahead and tell you this. If anyone has ever said that to you, they were wrong. They were wrong about you. That's not how God feels about you. 
And his opinion matters so much more. Um, some families never never directly say anything, but you know, every fa- no family is perfect, and sometimes there's a comparison or favoritism, and a, and a kid can grow up and be an adult and feel like they never measured up. They they couldn't measure up to someone or to some ideal, and and sometimes it's just unintentional. Okay, I think about this with my own own parenting. That uh, you know, we've always been we've set very high expectations on our kids when it comes to like school and grades and they start nodding at me um which is true and probably i shouldn't use some of the terminology that uh, <laughs> that i use and i'll go i'll go ahead and embarrass myself um i tell them a stands for all right b stands for go ahead elijah b stands for you be grounded and uh um, C stands for see you later. D stands for don't come home. F stands for forget about it. Okay, that's a joke. That's straight up a joke. And um, But I'm afraid, I'm like, I, I totally do not want my kids to think that my love and care for them is based on a letter on a report card. And I've sort of realized maybe I was a little too tough on them. So, um, but my kids haven't realized that I've realized. That's why they're making the face at me right now. But I'll just say in front of God and everybody, um, my love for y'all is not based on your report card. But work hard, please. Do work hard. You know, give it your best. You know, I'm, I'm so blessed. Um, you know, my parents had expectations for me too, but they, they never made me feel like I didn't measure up um, or like I wasn't loved or accepted. I, thank y'all. I didn't realize that is not something that most people get. So thank y'all. Um, but... I uh, managed to pick up my own baggage. <laughs> they didn't have to handle it to hand it to me. I, I picked up a lot of stuff anyway. You know, at home was good, but I went to school. I don't know how kids go to school these days because it's, it's tougher. It's tougher maybe than it was when I was a kid, and I pretty much got picked on in some form from about kindergarten to 10th grade, and they're going to say, well, you're going to say, what did they pick on you for? Because I was weird. Have y'all not noticed? I was weird. My wife noticed she married me anyway. I was just a weird kid. And you know what? That's okay. I'm 100% fine with that. But my fellow students were not. So anyway, um, got picked on a lot and it was no fun. And, and I picked up a lot of, I put a lot of pressure on myself. My parents generally never had to motivate me very much to, to excel or per, per, to pursue something because I put that on myself and I set standards for myself that were sometimes unattainable and... You know, I, I don't I don't think anyone could put more pressure on me than I did. And I often didn't measure up to my own ideas. Kids these days don't have it any easier. If you're an adult now, uh, when we grew up, there, you know, social media is more and more pervasive now than than it, it was. And now kids don't have to measure themselves just against their siblings or other kids at school. Kids measure themselves against all the other kids in the world out there and there's always always going to be somebody out there on the internet no matter how good you are at something there's always going to be somebody who's better at it somebody who's who's uh, more skilled somebody who's smarter somebody uh, whose makeup is better a lot of a lot of girls are somebody whose eyebrows are more on fleek is that a thing people still say eyebrows on fleek is that over did I, it's over now? I missed that. Some of you are like, did it ever start? I assure you, it was a thing. I was there. Uh, I remember that. 
I think it's over now, but there's always that. You can never, look, if you ever feel good about yourself, just go see what other people are doing. And you'll usually be like, oh my gosh, I can't measure up to that. Um, so the fallout from this, never feeling like we're good enough, wherever it came from, comes out in two forms. Well, or comes out in two ways, this idea of always being compared. And for some people, it leaves us feeling like we can never be good enough. We can never measure up. And maybe that's how you felt. You just, I can't measure up. And for others who may be wired a little differently, it's like, why can't, why can't people see that I'm good enough? I, I'm, I'm good enough, doggone it. Why can't people see that? Uh, why can't people see my value? And for me and for a lot of us, it's like a combination. Do you notice this combination we have? You're like, man, I suck at everything. Why doesn't people give me enough credit for what I'm good at? It's like that weird combination. Why can't people see my true worth when I can't see my own? So, hey, we know that we know that's a problem. That's not good. But we haven't even got to the most serious part. The consequences, the eternal consequences. Living in a world where our acceptance is often based on our performance, we can assume God is like that too. And you will have spiritual leaders, guys with the microphone, who will tell you things that suggest that in order for God to love us, we have to perform to a certain standard. That we have to meet this big list of requirements. And then God will love us if we can meet the standards. I'm challenging that idea today with the scriptures. God's acceptance of us cannot be based on our performance. He said the only way we can come to God is as a helpless child. Unable to do anything for ourselves. Look, it's not our performance that we rely on. It's the performance of Jesus. If it was up to our performance, we can't make it. No, we cannot meet his ideal. We cannot. So here's your, here's your core of the message today. Um, this is kind of the take home, the nugget. If this is the thing, if you forget everything else, remember this. There should be one more, the next slide here. Acceptance rests on his performance, not yours. His performance, not yours. His performance, not yours. We're in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. If you've been around church for a while, you'll recognize this one. Um, it gets used sometimes when there's like baby dedications, dedications of children. We, we haven't done one of those or haven't done it in a long time. You know, maybe, maybe we need to line one of those up if people are interested. But that's not what I'm about today. I want to get a little underneath the surface here. Okay. Verse 13, let's get started on this. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, please speak to us about this truth that we can only come to you as a child. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the times when Jesus lived, it was a big tradition to bring children to uh, a prominent rabbi and have the rabbi bless them and that blessing was usually done by um, the rabbi laying laying a hand on the head of the child and praying over them it was a good thing a, a very positive thing and throughout the new testament we see the laying on of hands as uh, present in the jesus movement uh, sometimes the laying on of hands was connected to some kind of miraculous healing or a filling uh, sometimes it was just a way to show you care. It wasn't something supernatural necessarily. It was just a way 
of showing fellowship and love and care. Now, hey, it's 2023, and this probably bears saying. Uh, even if you want to pray for some kids, don't, don't put your hands on any kids or anybody without being invited to do so by the person or the parent. That's just a, just a good rule of thumb. That'll keep you safe. They'll keep you out of trouble, you know. Um, in the right context, when it is welcome, uh, touch can be a very powerful, powerful thing. There's often not enough positive touch in our culture. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm not all that huggy of a person, really, with anybody outside of my close family, but I come to church and I get some hugs, and it's nice. It's like a nice, positive thing. It's really okay. Not everybody's wired that way. You won't be able to hug everybody, but, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. Uh, in this case, that touch was going to be a very positive thing. Um, these parents wanted a good thing. Jesus was more than a rabbi. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a spiritual leader. Understand, he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior sent from God. And of all the many things that a parent might want for their kids, the number one thing that you can want for your kids and for every kid is for them to get to know Jesus. To get in touch with Jesus. That's the number one thing. I mean, I, I want that for everybody. I unapologetically want everyone to have a relationship with Jesus. Not, not because I get something out of it or because, you know, we as a church get something out of it. But because that, we believe with all our hearts, that is the key to a transformed life in a positive way. So our, our goal, Recreate Church, we, we say we are a community of life and love with the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we do. Because we believe that will make a difference. So these parents brought, brought children to Jesus for a blessing, but the 12 disciples stopped them. What is up with these guys? Why are they being mean to little babies? Little children, are they just being, are they just being jerks? No, probably not. It's, it's probably not that. You've got to understand where they were right now. Jesus had told them several times he was going to die, but it, it had not clicked with them, but they could probably still read the tension because he's on his way to Jerusalem right now. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be betrayed and crucified, killed. And they're picking up on the idea that something big is about to happen, but they don't fully understand what that means, and they're, they're kind of feeling tense, and, and they're like, hey, don't, don't bring these kids around Jesus. He's, he's busy, okay? It's in that culture, children were valued, but children weren't given a lot of time of important people. Um, an important teacher like Jesus would, would only give a very minimal attention to, to interacting with kids. Uh, kids just weren't part of the conversation, by and large. Jesus was different about that. So the disciples were kind of holding them back, thinking they're protecting Jesus' time and energy. They were, to use a modern term, they were gatekeeping Jesus. They figured that, it wasn't worth interrupting him. But they were wrong. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let little, the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. The scriptures say he was greatly displeased. He was bothered by this. It pained him to his core. <clears throat> Just in the last chapter, we saw how Jesus gave a very stern warning to those who would cause uh, one of these little ones coming to him to stumble. He said, if you're, you're causing a little one who's coming to me to stumble, it's, it's better that you be drowned. That's pretty big words there. That's not small. Um, unfortunately, 
a lot of people get discouraged with faith when they're kids. A lot of people uh, do get prevented, do get um, sidetracked with religious experience in their youth or childhood or with uh, they grow up having some experiences with church that make them not want to be a part of that when they get older. I remember the first Sunday my family and I went to a church service and we that's kind of the one we started and just kept going. I was excited about it except for this one thing. These itchy church pants. Does anybody remember the itchy church pants? Did anybody go into church in the itchy pants era? I'm like, yeah, maybe there's, I don't know what it was. It wasn't blue jeans, and that's all I knew. Itchy church pants. It was probably one of the few times I had worn dress clothes to that point. It was a more formal era, okay? You know, we're a pretty relaxed church, but, but uh, at that time, it was a lot more formal. And I'm like, I, I want to know about God, but I don't want to know about these itchy pants. Do we really need to wear itchy pants to get to heaven? The answer is no. So our dress code that we do enforce strongly is only two words. Wear clothes. Wear clothes. And probably wear enough of them, too. If you don't got it, we'll fix you up with a T-shirt, just whatever. You know, get here. We're not too hung up on the formality. You know, I wish I could say that for most people growing up, the only negative experience they ever had with church was uncomfortable clothes, but that's not the case. Um, Plenty of people have a church experience in their childhood and youth that discourages them from being a part of a local body of believers as an adult. Um, They will get some very rough treatment from some church people. They will experience harshness instead of grace when they really needed grace, when they've messed up. Instead of getting love and support and help to get back on the right track, they just kind of get ostracized, get pushed to the side. Um, there is disappointment, of course, with people they looked up to. And in some cases, there's some very inappropriate things have happened in a church context. I, I don't defend that for a second. I, I, not at all. That's a problem. And we see it when, when one generation gets discouraged with church, maybe for some reasons that we would say, okay, I understand that, then they don't necessarily quit believing But when their own kids come along, they're like, ooh, do I want to bring my kids to that? So we've seen we have a generation that's growing up right now that's like the age of my kids who by and large have have not had a healthy connection with a spiritual family. And there's lots of reasons for that. I'm not like downing anybody for that. But but a lot of these kids haven't got the opportunity to see healthy spiritual spirituality like in a group setting. And um, it's not that kids aren't interested in spiritual things. They are. But these days, if, if they're not getting it in a more healthy context, they'll, they'll get it from YouTube. And there's a lot of, like, spiritual junk food out there. That sounds pretty good, but it's not really truly nourishing. It's like, <laughs> um, it's like the red hot Cheetos of, uh, flaming hot Cheetos of spirituality. Okay, you know what flaming hot Cheetos are? They're kind of sort of okay. They're like crunchy and hot and all right. They're, they're all right. But if you tried to live off of them, you would die. Or wish you were dead. They're not good for you. That's it's junk. And a lot of the spiritual stuff that's out there, like on the internet, and it it's, sounds pretty good because usually it's very affirming because it doesn't actually require you to do anything about your stuff. 
It doesn't actually require you to change anything. It just pats you on the back and says, hey, you're cool the way you are. Feels nice, but if you try to live off of that spiritually, you'll die spiritually. Hey, kids need nourishment for their souls. We got to be a part of that. And look, let's just face it. The flaming Hot Cheeto spirituality is pretty attractive to a kid. We're, we're competing with something that's completely empty, but it is attractive. We've got to keep that in mind. We have to create an environment where kids feel so loved and so uh, treasured and, and so much a part of things that they'll be able to receive the good things here. Look, I, I am so thankful that we have kids at our church, on the other side of this wall, we have a bunch of kids. And you'll hear them from time to time. You'll hear them make some noise or be rowdy. And I'm a thousand percent okay with that. Because there are churches all across the world and all across our community this morning who wish there was a kid screaming in their service. Because they don't have any kids. I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I don't care if a kid's rowdy. I want them here. I don't care if you got them rowdy and they're right out in the middle of this. That's fine by me. I'm cool with it. I'll just go and roll. Because I love kids. You know, I got my kids, and they're very chill this morning, but when they were little, they were not quite as chill. Uh, some of you had my two younger children in kids' church, so you know. You know what's up. And even my chillest child wasn't always so chill. I tell this story with her permission, by the way. I'm trying to get better at that. Because there's nothing quite like being a preacher's kid and being a sermon illustration all the time. But I did ask permission for this one. Even Isabel, when she was very little, was a known pew, pew crawler. Any other former pew crawlers in here? Pew crawlers. Those pew crawlers. It was many years later when I found out her motivation for crawling under the pews during church services. It's that there was gum stuck on the bottom of the pew. And the gum seemed like perfectly good gum to her as a three-year-old, which makes me die a little bit. But, <laughs> and she was the chill one. So yeah, you know what? We want kids. If they're rowdy, they're rowdy. You know what? Just say praise God. Bring us a bunch more rowdy children. That's just fine. And the kids, people who work in the children's area say, Lord, don't make them too rowdy. God bless them. These kids, look, 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 look. Jesus was on his way to the cross and he made time for kids. We got to do that too. Kids aren't the future of the church. It bugs me when people say kids are the future of the church. Kids are the now of the church. They're right now. They're the now. These children who were brought to Jesus, were too young to make a, a decision of personal faith at that point. They were too young. They, they could not really have understood. Uh, the suggestion is that they were pretty small kids. And yet Jesus says, for such is the kingdom of God. He counted them in the kingdom. That might be some small reminder that children who are too young to understand and Grown-ups who do not have the mental capacity to understand are covered by God's grace. Uh, I believe that is true. They're covered by God's grace. They're a part of God's kingdom. Now, that doesn't, that's not a call for baptizing babies, small children. I believe water baptism in the Scriptures is always followed by a conscious decision to follow Christ. But, of course, our aim should be to give kids every reason to trust in Jesus when they're old enough to understand. That's what we should do we should be aiming for and to not uh, 
doubt or be discouraged about it because something that we've done or not done. You know, we got to do our part. So, all right. So now we got into the part where I really wanted to go, and that's verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is to receive it as a little child. Can a little child earn love? No, not really. Can they earn nourishment? Not really. Would a good parent with a small baby ever withhold a bottle and say to that baby, say, well, I'll give you your bottle as soon as you straighten up. Stop messing your pants. Crying all the time. Let me sleep through the night. Until then, you're not getting it. No, that would be child abuse. God don't do child abuse. That's not how God works. A baby is utterly dependent. They have no ability to gain acceptance by their performance. And before God, that's where we are. We cannot gain acceptance because we are good enough and we've accomplished enough and we've proved ourselves enough. We get it in our heads because the world is like that. The world around us says that we have to be good enough. We have to perform enough. We have to achieve enough. We have to look a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We have to measure up to somebody's standard and then we're acceptable. That's what we experience in the world, in schools, and unfortunately in in a lot of homes. That's what we experience in the adult world, that to be accepted, to be loved, to be uh, respected, to be admired, to be included, you must measure up, you must perform. I want to give you a truth that is both devastating and liberating. First, the devastating part. You cannot possibly live well enough to impress God enough to get you into his family. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. Nobody can do it. Nobody can meet God's standards. If you're counting on getting into God's family or getting into heaven because of your good behavior, because you have done so well, because you have performed at such a high level, you can't. It's not possible. Only one person ever performed at that level. And it wasn't you, and it wasn't me. So what's the good news about that? There's the devastation. Where's the freedom? It's the freedom is in that one person who did. Jesus. Jesus did perform at that level. And, and what God does, if we'll trust in him, he takes the perfect performance of Jesus and he gives us credit for it when we trust in him. That's what he does. You can't measure up. But Christ can and did and does, and he can measure up on our behalf. It's not our performance, it's his. Don't count on your performance. It won't cut it. Count on his performance. The only way to get into the kingdom of God is to stop trying to earn your way in, to impress your way in, to perform your way in, and trust in Jesus. Acceptance is based on his performance, not ours. So that truth should make us think shouldn't it somebody might hear that and say well if he's carrying the load i just kind of can do whatever i want to do and it's going to be all right look no 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 
you don't get in you don't get into god's family by obedience except the obedience to the call of faith you get in the but if you, when you're in god's family you should want to please him like a child would want to please a father if there's a positive relationship there it should inspire us to please god it should transform us look Anybody who says they're part of the kingdom of God and it doesn't transform their life, they need to stop and they need to think about it and make sure some things are right. There's no room in the kingdom of God for those who think they will enter through their performance, their good deeds or their wisdom. There's only room for people who come to God as helpless, completely dependent children. And what did Jesus do when these kids came to him? Verse 16, we'll kind of land this. He took them in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. He received them. Jesus blessed the children. If you come as a child to Jesus, humbly and honestly, he'll, he'll receive you. He'll bless you. He doesn't reject anyone who comes with a humble heart. So I want to tell you one more story and kind of wrap this up. I want you to picture two 11-year-old kids, and they're, they're whispering in a panic. They're hovering over a desktop where there is a gold and glass object laying there. The boy is tap, tapping tapping frantically on the face of this pocket watch the hands aren't moving on this pocket watch he's twisting the knobs he's turning it over and over in his hands he's opening it he's closing it the tears are welling up in his eyes no matter what he does the delicate little hands under the glass stay frozen they refuse to move ben is his name ben knew better than to get the watch out without his dad but he wanted to show his friend Kara and tell her the story behind it this pocket watch had belonged to ben's great 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 grandfather who worked on the railroad and the name inscribed on the back of the pocket watch was benjamin franklin harris and that is ben's name and he wanted Kara to see it but now he's dropped it and the family heirloom doesn't work anymore it's broken so ben stuffs the pocket watch back in the drawer and his heart is beating out of his chest. He's, he dreads what his father is going to say. He dreads the disappointment in his dad's eyes. Would his dad ever forgive him for destroying something so precious for breaking this family heirloom? He couldn't sleep at all that night. He couldn't sleep at all the next night. He's dreading the moment when his dad opens the drawer to check the watch and finds that it's broken. He's, he's so worried what will happen when dad finds out. But then he thinks, maybe, maybe dad doesn't have to find out. And he gets with Kara at lunch, and they talk it over at lunch, and they come up with a plan. So when he gets off the school bus that day, he rushes to the garage, and he pulls out a toolbox full of little screwdrivers. He, he rushes to the desks, and he pulls out the watch, and sweat is dripping off his nose as he's, he's fumbling with his fingers, and he's trying to get this pocket watch out. And he gets the little flat screwdriver and inserts the blade into that little seam along the edge of the pocket watch, and he thinks he's going to open it up and fix whatever's wrong. And he, he twists it, and he pries, and it pops open, and springs and gears fly everywhere and he cries out and he's trying to snatch these pieces and that's about the time an enormous warm hand falls on his shoulder and he jumps and he turns and it's his father his dad's right there and ben's trying to explain trying to apologize but the words are sticking in his throat and he's choking on it and tears are streaming down his cheeks and he, he, he waits for his dad. He just squeezes his eyes closed and he waits for his dad to start yelling at him. But he doesn't hear yelling. He hears the sound of little pieces of metal across a desktop. And he opens his eyes and he sees his father sweeping the pieces together. 
and he watches as his father pulls tools out of that toolbox and puts the watch back together and he winds it and the little second hand ticks around in a full circle and the watch is fine. Ben says to his dad, I'm so sorry. I, I broke it and I thought I could fix it and I was afraid to tell you. I thought you would hate me. I thought you'd never forgive me. And Ben's dad pulls him into a big hug and he says, son, my, my love for you is bigger than a watch. Yeah, you shouldn't have messed with it. But my love for you is bigger than anything. Any material thing, anything you do or don't do, anything you mess up or don't mess up, it's bigger than that. And next time, come to me and we'll fix it. it it's in that moment that Ben understood his father's love wasn't based on conditions. It wasn't based on anything he could do. Ben's father loved Ben because he was his father's child. I know that you've had people whose love and acceptance and approval of you was based on your performance. That on days you seemed to be performing to the right level, they seemed to love you. When days you didn't seem to measure up to the right level, they didn't seem to love you. And there may be a lot of reasons for that that we can't dig out today. But I'm going to tell you right now, God is not like that. God's love is consistent. Every day He loves you. Even days you mess it up. Even days you don't. We can only come to God with empty hands. Our, our acceptance rests on the performance of Christ on the cross, not on anything we can do. And let me just, let me just tell you that story real quick. That God sent His one and only Son who lived a perfect sinless life, who died a death in our place so that he took our penalty and we took his credit if we will call on him. The only thing for you to perform is believing in the performance of Jesus. And that's it. And that's it. So what's your story? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted in him and not you? You need to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much. That you sent Jesus to perform on our behalf. And I do pray in Jesus' name that everyone hearing this, everyone receiving this message, if they have not already, would trust in Jesus and be saved. Not counting on their own goodness or their own good behavior to get them into heaven, but counting on Jesus and his sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you will make us more and more every day a church that shows people that you love them because, because you love them not because they have to be good enough. And Lord, will you make us more and more a church that is ready to love and serve kids and do everything we can for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, guys, that's all I got. Thank you for being a part of this today. Lord willing, we'll be back next week and we're gonna talk about the rich young ruler and that will be very, very interesting. So mark those things on your calendar. We've been talking about baptism and the, the, uh, re the anniversary and all of that. That's all I got. Y'all have a great day. Take care.